This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud, and this is my podcast. Today, I have a very interesting conversation with Shelly McConnell. She's the Chief Strategy Officer at Wynn Fertility. Our discussion was about the rise of side hustles that people are uh, partaking in in order to receive fertility treatment coverage. Yes, that's the thing. Maybe you know about that. Maybe you don't. Either way, stay tuned for (laughs) a very interesting conversation right after this. The Recruiting Life is a newsletter that gives a quirky view on the world of work and aspires to educate, entertain, and inspire with articles, comics, podcasts, videos, and more. It is produced on a weekly basis by yours truly, Jim Stroud, and is supported by readers like you. Topics in this newsletter include the future of work, current labor trends, the impact of AI on the recruitment industry, and more. Subscribe now and receive it every Monday in your email by going to jimstroud.beehive.com. That URL is jimstroud.beehive.com. A link is in the podcast description. Don't wait. Subscribe now. Operators are standing by. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. And before I bring up my next guest... I want to read something to you. I know it's a little something different than what I normally do, but I find this <laughs> I find this subject intriguing uh, for a variety of reasons. I'm going to read an article, uh, an excerpt from an article here at Medium, from Medium. And the title of the article is, let's see here. The title is Egg Freezing, At-Home Tests, and Employee Benefits. How do Millennials Think About Fertility? Yeah. Um, so this is a couple of uh, the first two paragraphs in that article. And it says this. In the last few decades, fertility trends in the U.S. have undergone a massive shift. The average U.S. woman has her first child at age 28, a five-year increase from the 80s. And the number of children she has over her lifetime has dropped to a record low of 1.8. As of 2016, women in their 30s now have a higher birth rate than women in their 20s. These changes reflect positive trends, including more women in the workforce and increased access to contraceptives. But couples who wait longer to have children are more likely to struggle with infertility. IVF uh, use has reached new highs, and as many as one in six couples face infertility. According to CDC data, 12% of women of reproductive age, 15 to 44, have sought fertility treatment services. And this is not just an issue affecting women. We're in the midst of what experts call a male fertility crisis, too. I read that. I said, man, 
this is interesting. Was it like that back in my day? <laughs> so when I read that, I wondered, okay, so how is that going to affect the job market overall? You know, how can companies leverage this maybe to hire more people? And I found out that uh, people have been working for uh, not just a paycheck, but a uh, but for fertility benefits. So some people are saying, you know, instead of just giving me money, just just give me fertility benefits because they're they're just you know that's more valuable to me. Which I was like, wow. And I said, I got to find somebody to talk about this stuff with. And I found my next special guest. Rather, she found me. Ironically enough. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my special guest, if you would tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me today. My name is Shelly McConnell, and I am the Chief Strategy Officer at Win Fertility. Win Fertility is one of the, uh, is the nation's leading um, benefits provider around family building benefits and family support. Okay. Okay. Now, this whole thing about people working for fertility benefits, not a paycheck, uh, is, that, is that true? Can you verify that? Those are facts. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And have been for some time, really, Jim. Um, But but it has been emerging. Um, Yes. In the early days when employers didn't really offer mm -hmm. fertility benefits, those who did were market leaders and employees sought after employment at those companies in order to offer that benefit. So this isn't entirely new, but it really has gone through a number of changes. Um, Statistics now show 30 to 40% of U.S. employers offer some sort of benefit in this space. Hmm. When did this thing started, um, this benefit start taking taking root and trending like in the 2000s and the 90s? When did it sort of start, do you think? Well, it's interesting. Wind fertility has been around for 25 years. Um, so uh, we have been around for a while, but it really has picked up in the last 10 years, five years, continuing to increase even as we speak. Uh, for someone to take fertility benefits rather than a paycheck suggests mm-hmm. to me, and I, cause I have no idea that fertility benefits aren't cheap. Uh, <laughs> what, yes. what, yeah. what is the uh, financial uh, cost of fertility benefits, IVF treatments? How much do they run these days? It varies very significantly by geography um, and also whether you have coverage through your health plan or not. But um, em- employees should plan at least $20,000, if not more, in particular geographies um, for one IVF cycle. Uh-huh. For, so that's more. So that suggests there's more than one. Uh, what's, what's, yeah, how, expensive, mm-hmm. how expensive could this run? For fertility treatment, it would depend how many cycles a person opts to go through if they have to go through IVF. Um, on average, it takes people, you know, generally you have to go through two in order to um, to likely um, have success. And that's what the statistics show. Of course, some people have great success on the first time, um, wow. but it can really vary. So 20... Keep in mind, some people may want to have a larger family. So they may have they may want to go through this again later or need to go through this again later, not even want to, but need to go through this again at a later point, even if they do have a child. Hmm. So 20,000 on the low end <laughs> and upwards of 40,000 plus, depending on how big they want their family to be. I can see how that could add up uh, quite a bit. Uh, now you yes. said there are a lot of companies already offering this benefit. Mm-hmm. I imagine those yeah. are like really big companies like your Amazons, your Microsofts, big companies like that. 
for sure. They were the leaders in this space. I would say that the tech companies closely followed by financial services, life sciences, et cetera, led the industry in offering these benefits. But every industry is now offering them. We see them across uh, everything from manufacturing, retail, grocery, every industry offers them, manufacturing, et cetera. Um, so there's really no industry that isn't looking at this um, or isn't offering it already. Okay. Okay. Has the increase in side hustles show that there's a still a lack of accessibility to fertility yes. care? As many women cannot yeah. receive benefits yeah. in their primary jobs. Would you say that? Mm-hmm. I would certainly say that. I would also add um, two other things that Um, offering these benefits isn't just binary. It's a yes or a no. There are a lot of nuances to it. And there are a lot of um, additional components. For instance, we're talking about fertility specifically, but um, there is also adoption, surrogacy, um, and other benefits um, that are um, popular across the board, but are particularly utilized by the LGBTQIA community that may not be able to utilize a fertility benefit. So from an equity standpoint, it is more than just fertility. It also is fertility preservation. People who want to usually hear called egg freezing, but it mm-hmm. could be for men or for women um, to preserve fertility for a future use is another component of this. And then there are different varieties of coverage and what's covered and not covered. So it makes it a little bit more complex than just a yes or no. Uh, and the other thing I would add is it's not just women who are either getting a side hustle or changing a job in order to get these benefits. Um, it's also men, Hmm. all people. Um, Hmm. so even if you think about someone who, um, maybe going through uh, transgender treatment, um, they should be offered the opportunity to preserve their fertility, whether male to female or female to male before they go through that process. So I would say um, it's not just women. I would say it's all people who have an interest in building their families are looking at this. And then I would add one other point, which is that even people who aren't adding to their families now, um, are interested in this benefit because it is an indicator of an employer's inclusivity and mindset around the workforce. We hear HR professionals in the field who are trying to attract and retain employees that employees want to work at a place where they understand purpose and they understand the culture and that it is a inclusive, embracing, and family-friendly place. And even if you don't want to take advantage of this benefit right now or use this benefit now, it is an indication of the employer. And so we do hear that from a recruiting standpoint, this is a great hallmark of um, the culture of an organization, how you choose to, to cover this benefit. I imagine that if someone were able to achieve their family goals uh, with some sort of IVF benefit or adoption and so forth, the company that enabled that, they probably have some nice, warm, fuzzy feelings about that company. That's true. That's <laughs> For true. sure. Mm-hmm. Which is why they would stay there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious true. about the um, now the people who work for a uh, who work for fertility benefits instead of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. What kind of jobs are those? I imagine that's not DoorDash or or jobs like well, that. 
What exactly? Well, what kind I would of work also do they say do? that sometimes they're not working instead of getting a paycheck, but they may mm -hmm. be getting less of a paycheck or they may be um, doing a job that maybe isn't central or core to their capabilities and experience. Um, but many organizations offer this. Um, I don't want to name any in particular, but there are some large national chains that offer this benefit. Um, there are um, baristas who are having access to this benefit, okay. um, as well as professional organizations. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, what should people know before taking on a side job to receive fertility benefits? I mean, what's is there like a cash 22 involved in some kind of way? What should they ensure is included in the benefits package? Mm, I, I would say the first thing is to really solicit the coverage within your own organization. And that to me would be step one, um, to um, speak with HR, to maybe work with some of your employee resource groups or affinity groups if offered by the employer, to, um, to voice and to ask them to be an advocate for this. I would try that first. And then the, if you are looking at benefits, I would um, make sure that you understand what the limits are. I would make sure you understand the circumstance under which it is covered. And this gets a little clinical and a little complicated, Jim, but mm. um, there are plans that use a historical diagnosis of infertility requirement where a traditional couple by traditional means has to try for a certain period of time typically based on the female's age, maybe for six months, maybe for a year, et cetera. And only under that circumstance would benefits be covered. And there are other plans that don't require people to go through the diagnosis of infertility so they could access benefits. Um, for instance, if you are in the LGBTQIA community and let's say you're two women, you wanna go through the program, you sure. need to understand that in fact you would be covered and then what you would be covered for. Um, some organizations offer kind of step therapy requirements that you have to do lesser treatments before you qualify for more advanced treatments. In the case of an LGBTQIA woman, for instance, they might say that she has to have a certain number of IUIs, intrauterine ins inseminations, before she could have IVF. But many LGBTQIA uh, women want to do um, a different kind of procedure where they would use the egg from one partner and the other partner would carry the pregnancy. Um, and in that case, you would just want to make sure that that was covered. That's why I say it gets complex and clinical. Sure. I don't want to go too deep, Jim, but um, understanding your own situation and making sure that the benefits would in fact cover what it is that you need to do. Um, one thing I'm wondering too, is that I know a lot of women are uh, pursuing careers right out of college and they're going for their goals, that kind of thing. And, and mm -hmm. the impression that I have, especially from reading that the article that I quoted earlier, was that women are focusing more on their careers more so than starting a family. Um, whereas back in my day, <laughs> you get out of college and you marry whoever your boyfriend was out of college or shortly thereafter, start a family, became a housewife, and then in the second part of your life, then you did a career or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like that, that 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 has changed. Has that been your impression? Is that we're having this increase in IVF fertility benefits, uh, interest in IVF 
fertility interest in IVF benefits is because so many women are putting career first, prioritizing career over family. Is that the case uh, from your perspective? I think that's part of it, Jim. I think that's part of it. I think um, families in general are starting a little bit later, not just because a woman is working and putting careers first, but just culturally we're starting families a little Mm. bit later, but that's not the only aspect of it. In fact, Half of fertility issues are related to male factor. Mm. Um, About a third are female only, about a third are male only. And then there's Mm. a third where it's a combination of both or we don't know, uh, the reason can't be identified. So there's kind of an unknown thing about the impact that men have on fertility. And it's not just related to um, women's aging, although that certainly could be a part of it. And The final dynamic I would say is the removal of the stigma that people are willing to discuss this more where Mm. in years past, Jim, maybe people weren't comfortable discussing this publicly or advocating for their own needs. And that fortunately is going by the wayside is still as some, but um, the stigma is reducing. People are asking about it, talking about it. It's much more mainstream and not as private. And as a result, people are willing to advocate for themselves within the workplace. Do you uh, know of any testimonials that you could possibly share people who've been to your clinic and they've received IVF and now they have a family of seven? (laughs) Yes, we have. um, We are what your family of seven is? What no, 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 no. I was saying because oh. of your treatments, they have a family of seven now. Oh, God. Well, <laughs> I should say, yes, we have some really great testimonials and maybe, um, okay. and, you know, happy families is something we're very, very proud of. Um, and maybe I can send you some um, afterwards. But yes, people have been very happy with it. I would also say that we don't typically have right away families of seven because part of what we do is... Um, is help people and guide them in the treatment so that they don't have higher order multiples that typically have some very significant health issues associated Mm. with it. So Mm. we um, try to counsel people about having what's called single embryo transfer. So you transfer back just one embryo each time. Mm. um, And then you can take, you can have those embryos frozen. You can go to the, to the next most viable embryo, et cetera, because as you increase the number of embryos transferred, um, the number of babies, um, each time we really see very, the market sees, uh, there's great data about the very significant health issues that some of those babies have and that can carry through life or at least through age five. So, um, we wouldn't, we would not want to have, we're not helping people, um, gravitate toward treatment that would have an octomom. Okay. which is what I think you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you would see that would take more time for a family of seven. Would not do it on on one, one trip. I'm curious, this may be an off the wall question, but how many people in your experience have come through and say, hey, I just want to take a fertility test? You know, I'm just mm-hmm. curious mm-hmm. to see, you know, where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and that influenced my thinking on a number of number of mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. Is, is that common or is that just sort of like someone it's being forward It's becoming more common. Okay. Yeah. It's, it doesn't happen all the time, but it is increasing in its frequency. Um, particularly as people understand this issue and they're not 
35 and now under understanding what might happen. There are people who are uh, really, like you said, planning for their lives and mm-hmm. want to understand what their personal fertility journey might be. And, um, you know, whether it's early onset menopause, or it's just diminished reserve or number of other issues, you're right, it could impact what they do. That question is most frequently tied to, like you said, planning for a family, or for people who are really considering a fertility preservation, if they're really thinking about should I freeze my eggs? Mm. Um, they often will want to go through a battery of analyses to see what their current situation is, et cetera. So we do see an increase in that. Um, of course I would know, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sympathizing. I, I imagine that's a very, uh, dramatic experience for women. Mm-hmm. I would imagine mm-hmm. to go through that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And if they do mm-hmm. freeze their eggs, mm-hmm. do you offer also some sort of, um, uh, Counseling as far as uh, mental health counseling yeah. or therapy for women who are going through this, because I said I'm, I'm only I'm only imagining it, but I imagine it is a very dramatic experience to go through. Or am I overthinking it? No, you are not overthinking it. You are 100 correct. And yes, okay. we do have um, mental health care, behavioral health care to support people um, through this very particular process, Jim. Um, there's a lot of grieving. In this Mm. process, whether Mm. it's grieving how you thought something might be Mm. or the ups and downs of on and off, it did work, it didn't work. And by the time people get to fertility treatment, they have already probably been through a lot. Um, And it also is um, physically difficult. These are typically treatments with hormones and significant hormones and self-injections you know, intramuscular self-injections, which are painful. Um, It's physically, mentally, and emotionally a very trying process. So the behavioral health aspect of this is important. You you ever thinking to get to the point like with pregnancy tests? Because at one point you couldn't have a pregnancy test at home, but now they're, you know, freely accessible at your local pharmacy. That's true. You think they'll have, we'll look at the point where you have Fertility tests, and if so, would people still? There are some fertility tests. Yes, there are some that exist. Although we usually recommend that you go through them with a fertility provider to help kind of guide and assess things. But there are some at-home fertility tests. Yeah, because that's yeah, yeah, that was actually my next question. Because with with pregnancy tests, even though you get tested at home, people still want to verify by going to an actual doctor. Um, So, especially in fertility. Yeah, because your hormones are already impacted by the treatments you've been going through. The fertility clinics typically um, counsel against doing an over-the-counter test, but actually doing it through the clinic. Yeah. Um, They're also at home uh, for men. The um, at-home aspect of this is improving as well, whether it's at-home collection of a sample versus having to go into a clinic. Um, and then, or whether it's then send it in and have it all be remote, uh, et cetera. So all of this is advancing. I'll be really curious to know. Um, and I think you mentioned that there's no, no specific reason for this, but why the male fertility, uh, sperm counts are, are lowering. Uh, I'm wondering, is it the food or I'm wondering, is it, is it just, I don't know, evolution for lack of a better term. I, I'm just really curious as to what that could be. Any ideas? 
there are some ideas floating around in the market, but I, um, I am not an expert, but I, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist on this and I don't think anyone actually has the answer, but I think there are environmental concerns. Um, and you're right. Maybe there's evolution. We don't, we don't know exactly. To, to reach back to something you, you mentioned earlier, I'm going to quote one more piece from this article. Yeah. It says, female respondents are more likely than male respondents to think about fertility benefits when taking a job offer. 66% of women say that it might or would impact their decision compared to 51% of men. So uh, I think offering IVF treatments or uh, benefits like this is definitely the way to go to attract uh, a lot of workers just to uh, validate what you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Agree. And it's interesting that 60 versus 51%, mm. you know, that's half of men considering it. Yep. Um, so if you talk about change, that I would say is something that has, if there were an earlier statistic, I think you would see a big increase in this because this is commonly thought of as a female burden. This is really a family burden. And I think men are just beginning to understand the impact that they have in fertility as well. Uh, so it's for me, it's interesting to hear the 50 percent. I think it's good news for big businesses that can afford it. But I'm thinking small mom and pop shops who would love to take advantage of the benefit but can't afford it because I'm, because IVF treatments and the like are very expensive. Am, am I thinking correctly? Is there a low cost alternative for smaller businesses, businesses with you know less than 500 people? Yeah. You, you know, a lot of smaller businesses are subject to state law and mm. state requirements and maybe in a fully insured plan where this is offered, in fact, because of state requirements. There are a number of states that have some sort of basic, at least some sort of basic benefit that's required. And so the smallest employers are likely under under those programs. I see. And maybe okay. offering it already or have, have it accessible as a part of, for instance, their fully insured rates. I know someone is listening and they're saying, oh, I wish he had asked this. I wish he had asked that. Uh, if they want to ask you additional questions and get some mm-hmm. more information about about when yes. and you specific, particularly, how can they find you online? Yeah, I'm Shelly McConnell. I can give you my email address. I'm on LinkedIn. McConnell has two C's, two N's, two L's. Hmm. So it's okay. my first name, two L's. <laughs> Lots of doubles in there. Um, but I can also, I don't know, will they see it if I put it in the chat? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, send me your information. Mm-hmm. I will add it to the okay. podcast description. So if you're listening, just okay. go down to the podcast description and that information is there. You can reach out to Shelly and ask all the questions of her that I should have asked. <laughs> or, or, Happy to field them. Such an important topic. And we really appreciate your talking about it, Jim. It is. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Bye, everyone. Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you again real soon right here with a brand new episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached by email at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And one last favor, if I may ask, please rate this podcast. Uh, Five stars is preferred, (laughs) but uh, please uh, comment uh, with your honest opinion. I really appreciate that. All right. Okay, until next time, bye-bye.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.